Thank you, Matt. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. My name is Tommy. If I have not had the privilege and joy of meeting you yet, I am the teaching pastor here at Grace Life Church, and it's a privilege today to uh, be fully healthy again. Praise God. Man, I've been sick and down and out for a couple of weeks. Many of you have been praying for me, and thank you. I feel like God's recovered me. So uh, today is the final message in Romans chapter 8, and we will officially be halfway through the epistle. How about that? It's only taken, I don't know how many years it's taken, a couple years, but I feel like in some ways we're just getting started. So uh, I'm going to read the passage. You can turn to it if you want. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through the end of the chapter 39. Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. If you don't have a copy of God's Word or you don't have a Bible app, that's okay. We got you bailed out today. You can just look up here on the PowerPoint and we're going to read it together, starting in verse 31, and then I'm going to pray and we'll jump in here. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger? Or the sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this passage. I feel inadequate to even uh, sufficiently explain or preach on it or exposit it or tease it out. But Lord, it's filled with such power and beauty and, and encouragement and hope. And it's been used by so many of your people throughout history to galvanize them to suffering, Lord, to leverage them, to do hard things in hard places with hostile people who were not sympathetic to the Christian worldview or open to persuasion to the belief in the gospel. So I pray that it would have a similar effect, if not greater, upon us today. Some of us, Lord, are fearful today, paranoid vacillating back and forth. Some of us are just apathetic. It took all that we had within us just to get us here and to stay committed to the gathering of your people today. And Lord, wherever we at, I pray that these words, as Matt prayed earlier, would wash over us today in a new and in a powerful way, would fill us with hope and with joy and with courage, maybe with conviction, would challenge us with just the new reality. As one of my friends says, Lord, perspective is so powerful. It's the only way we can change our world 
without changing any of the facts. It's just a fresh, new, better, accurate, true way of looking at things. So do the work that only you can do today through this passage. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. What comes to mind when I say the word security, I wonder, for many of you? Here are just some, uh, some helps. Maybe you think of the thickest walled vault in the world where they would keep your possessions in a lockbox or your cash or those rare unique coins or whatever it is. Or maybe you think of Fort Knox, the, the, maybe the most secure place in the world for gold. Maybe you think of uh, the Pentagon, it's where they keep the secrets and the national treasures of the United States of America. Maybe you think of a maximum security prison where they keep, it's almost crazy, isn't it? They, they keep some of the world's worst criminals. Uh, they're protected from you <laughs> and, you're, and you're protected from them. Or maybe you think of a fortified castle that's insur, insurpassable, you can't get at the people in there. Or maybe you think of this when you think of security. Maybe you think of VIPs, celebrities, public officials. Maybe you think of a bulletproof car surrounded by bodyguards. Or maybe you think of the Pope and the plexiglass mobile that that dude rides in. (laughs) Uh, People have a lot of different ideas when they think of security. Today we're going to talk about eternal security. We're going to talk about your spiritual security. What proof do we have? What hope do we have? that we're going to make it all the way home. You know, I, I talk to Christians about this all the time. And I, talk, I talk to Christians about this, people who have believed the gospel, who would consider themselves to be followers of Jesus, who believe the Bible, who have embraced the message about Jesus' birth and sinless life and vicarious death and glorious resurrection and who are filled with the Spirit. I talk to people, and they actually believe that they're not sure. If you say, hey, look, how convinced are you that you're going to make it all the way home. You're going to make it to the, to the final end, and you're going to stand on that day. And they say things like, well, I hope I do. Or I, th- I think I may. Some people would be really bold and honest and vulnerable and say, honestly, man, I'm just not sure. And in my heart, I'm grieved. I'm grieved because, listen, I, I'm, I'm your pastor. Even if you're not a member of this church, I'm your pastor today, pastor for the day, right? And I want to be honest with you. Maybe it gets in your kitchen a little bit, but I love you too much not to. That is a miserable and paranoid way of living your life. Because that's the, the greatest measure of security we could think of is our eternal soul. And for that question to be open and not answered, or not answered, answered with any degree of certainty, man, I told you last week in the first part of this passage that we didn't quite finish, that you're invincible. And spiritually speaking, you are invincible. You're unconquerable. You're undefeated. But that does not mean that you can't live a a suspicious and paranoid way of life. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be terrible for you to be invincible but to be paranoid? Thinking the the, the tiniest thing is going to take you out. It's like the person who has wealth beyond measure. A a gazillionaire, a trillionaire, and they live like a miser. They pick up pennies, you know, off the ground and and that are just disgusting because they're so afraid they're going to be broke. They live like an impoverished person. Or the person who has a perfect bill of health, and they're walking around like a hypochondriac. You shake your head at that, and you say, man, what a poor soul. I feel the same way about people who are in Christ, but they don't believe the things that the Bible says about their eternal security. Maybe it's because they sat under false teaching. I've told you this before. Maybe it's because they sat under teaching that just overemphasized 
Examine yourself, examine yourself, examine yourself. You can never be, you can never be sure. And it's left the question open-ended. Are you bearing enough fruit? It's good to look for fruit. The Bible says to you. But if you never answer that question, how much is enough? You got to be devoted. Okay, how devoted? You got to be loyal. How loyal do I have to be? And what I love about what the Apostle Paul says here is he gives you basically a blank check for assurance. He is giving you a pattern. How do you argue yourself into assurance? He's showing you how he did it, and he's giving you a blank check like, hey, go and do likewise. Because Paul can't quote the entire Bible in one chapter, but he quotes enough of it to say, look, go and treasure up some promises in the Bible that will anchor your soul, that will ground you in assurance. And so that's what today's sermon really is. Uh, I, I tried to answer three of the four questions last week. And I didn't quite answer the fourth one about what could separate us from God's love. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this, do a really, really lightning fast review if you weren't here last week. And then I'm going to answer the last question. But I put, them in, I put them in just positive assertions today. Maybe that'd be easier for you and more helpful for you to take away and remember. So what is the root of assurance? Do you have security? How secure, let me, let me just ask you this question. How secure do you think you are this morning if you are a Christian? Has that question been answered yet, or are you waiting for the final day for it to be answered? Like a lot of religions do. They don't really know. They have no built-in assurance into their religion, into their statement of faith, into their scriptures at all. They don't know. It's like, it's all up in the air, man. I don't know. Jury's still out. Won't know to the end whether I did enough, and that's a huge problem. And it's not Christian at all, and the Bible has plenty to say about it. There's a story about John Chrysostom, who uh, ministered in the first century. And when he was brought before the archbishop at Constantinople, before the Roman emperor, excuse me, fifth century, he was threatened with banishment. So this is what he said, John Chrysostom. He was called Golden Throat. He was an amazing preacher. The emperor said, I'll banish you. And he said this, you cannot banish me for this world is my father's house. But I'll kill you, the emperor said. No, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. I'll take away your treasures, said the ruler. No, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. But I will drive you away from your friends, and you will have no one left. He responded, no, you can't do that either. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. Now, what level of security would it take to respond to, to opposition like that? How secure would you have to feel to be able to say that, man? To stand up to the ultimate power of your day, a person who can rise no higher than the ruler, the emperor, considered God's very son to the Romans, and say, hey, do your worst. Do your worst and get it over with. I'm invincible. I'm inseparable. So that's, that's the title of today's message is inseparable, and we're going to focus on that last question, but I'm going to review real quick the others. Because Paul starts with a question, he says, what shall we say to these things? And I believe he's talking about really everything he said in Romans, especially chapter 8. What shall we say to these things about this golden chain of redemption that God foreknew us and he predestined us and he called us and he justified us and he's, we're as good as glorified in the history books? What shall we say to these things? And then he answers, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So that's the first hint at what Paul is getting at, security, assurance. He wants to ground you. He wants to write a blank check and put it in your hands and say you have no clue how assured 
how, how secure you are, but here's just a hint, and you can go and keep studying this for the rest of your life. Are we thinking deeply enough about our security in Christ? Or are we living a paranoid existence? This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He said this was logic on fire. He said the Apostle Paul is arguing that this is inspired apostolic logic. He said this. Paul is saying, think. Are you afraid? You aren't thinking. Are you worried? You aren't thinking. Are you feeling guilty? You aren't thinking. See the logic of free grace and justification? These aren't dry doctrines. They are life itself. And if you are not living with overwhelming assurance and power, you haven't really fully understood them. Let me say that last part again. If you aren't living with overwhelming assurance and power, you haven't really fully understood them. So my question to you is, how secure do you feel right now today? Are you living with overwhelming assurance? If somebody asks you, hey, are you convinced that you're going to make it all the way home in Christ? What would your answer be? Would you shrug your shoulders and say, you know, man, I hope so. I hope so. This wishful thinking, I know, this sounds so perjumpsy. How dare me to presume on, you know. God has a lot to say about that. I know because relationships are vulnerable, people are unpredictable. They can change, their feelings can grow cold. They can change their mind, they can betray us, they can walk out on us. They can leave us, be unfaithful to us, abandon us, even hate us. So, is our relationship with Jesus safe? That's what he's getting at here. Because Christianity is only as wonderful as the answer to that question, as far as I'm concerned. How devoted, how committed, how loyal is Jesus? Maybe that question keeps you awake at night. Or maybe you think, you know, I'm convinced of God's faithfulness, but it's me that I'm worried about. What if I deny him? What if I walk away from God? What if I stop believing? What if I lose my mind? What if I get brainwashed by a cult? What if I end up in a mental hospital and I can't remember anything, let alone my own name? What then? How deep is your security? Because Paul answers those questions. It's fair to ask that. Is God going to break my heart or am I going to break God's heart? Am Am I headed for heartache in this relationship? So Paul says, God is for you. What does that mean? Four things that it means. Number one, it means God's power is unsurpassable. We, we, we said that last week. God's power is unsurpassable. There's a verse in John 10. It's really incredible. And it says this. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I mean, listen, folks, seriously. If that's the only verse God ever gave us for eternal security, that'd be enough. Eternal life. It's an adjective, eternal life. I give you eternal life. What does that mean? It means it's forever. Nobody's ever going to take it away from you or the adjective eternal is pointless. I give them eternal life. He gives it to you. You don't earn it. You don't gain it. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And listen to this. Check this out. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You're like, I don't know about that. I don't, what if I jump out of your hand? <laughs> we always have a condition in our mind. And listen to what he says. My Father, who has given them to me. So this is a, trini- a work of the Trinity. God the Father foreknew you, elected you, chose you, predestined you. He gave you to the Son who justified you. The Spirit applies this work and fills you and frees you. And he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and my father are one. I love that. It's like a bodyguard. Me, my father, and the spirit. Won't you come on up here and try to get my children? 
Come on up here and get them. Do your, do your worst. I, I have a, I'm a visionary learner, and I have a vision of like Ephesians, and it says, he seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ. We are joint heirs with God in Christ. So it's as if we're seated in the heavenly places with Christ, and somebody threatens to come and get us. And I want to say, yeah, you, you come on up here. Come on up. I dare, I dare you to come up here and try to take me from my father. You come up on here. Come on up here and try it. See what happens to you. I don't know, I just think that way. I have like a maniacal way of thinking about things. Like I would love to see you when the fight is over, after you've tried to snatch me out of my father's hands. I would love to see the look on your face and the bruises on your face, right? That's, that's how I think about it. That helps me visually. Nobody is greater than my father. And you want to say, do you know who my father is? <laughs> he says, nobody is greater. So Paul's saying, if God's for us, who can be against us? In other words, if the greatest power conceivable on earth is already in your corner, already pledged himself to you. And here's, here's some verses. Here's some verses that I can read. And by the way, he doesn't say who is against you. There's plenty of answers to that question. We rehearse some of them. Satan's against you. The world's against you. Your own flesh is against you, right? The government can be against you. Your body can turn against you. Your family and friends can turn against you. Your children, your parents, your spouse, Plenty of things. Employers, colleagues. He's, he's not saying that you will never face opposition. We will. We have. We are. He's saying it cannot overcome us. We're invincible. We're unconquerable. When the dust settles, we'll be standing by our Father. That's what he's saying. So his, his argument is, why fear opposition if an all-powerful God has purposed all of our life for good? And that even the evil things that do come and oppose us, he'll turn to good. I mean, you can't lose, right? Nothing to fear, nothing to lose. Who is strong enough to overcome omnipotence? Isaiah 40 says this. I'm not going to put it on the overhead, but listen to this. When you think about God's power, how insurpassable it is. No one is greater than my father. It's so easy to just read through that. Nobody's greater than my father. Well, how great is he? Well, check this out. Turn to Isaiah 40 if you ever need some comfort. That's what it starts out as. Comfort, yes, comfort my people. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. For all you flat earthers out there, sorry. That's for free. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. You know, there's a certain kind of year. I'm going to gross you out for a minute. There's a certain time of the year in Florida where these huge, they're not called grasshoppers and they're not locusts. I don't know what it is. They're big, gross, disgusting, black, black-faced grasshoppers. What are they called? Yeah, those things. And when Sarah and I got married, we bought a little house in Holly Hill, and we had a beautiful yard, and those things came out. And I had an old neighbor, and she came over, and she walked up, and she goes, how are y'all doing? She goes, oh. And she went, and she like squashed it, and juice flew out. I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? She said, you kill those things whenever you see them. They'll destroy your yard, your rose bushes, your, your hedges, your life, your marriage. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, okay. And so every time I see one of those grass, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Every time I see one of those grasshoppers, I kill it. I guess maybe that makes me an evil man. I'm protecting my, my yard. And when I, read, when I read this passage, it reminds me of that. Funny story, okay? I was in Romania preaching on this years ago. And my translator kept looking at me, 
really weird. Grasshopper. They don't have a word. He didn't, he didn't understand. Uh-huh. And I was talking about when I see these, I smash them. And, and after the pastor came over and he said, that was a strange sermon. And I'm like, why? And he said, why do you smash your lawnmower? And I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, grasshopper. Anyway, grasshopper to them meant a lawnmower. And this tells you, man, the Tower of Babel did a good job on us, didn't it? Anyway. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. What does that mean? You're the creator of the world. You have omnipotent power. You look down at the strongest, mightiest emperor, (laughs) right? And God says, grasshopper. Now look, I'm not saying like I could squash you like a bug. I mean, yeah, that's true, but we're in Christ. He's not going to squash us. I think of opposition when I read this. Who can oppose us? Who's going to come, who's going to climb up to heaven and try to snatch me out of the, that's what I think of it. I love that. That's a good image for me. Who's going to oppose us? The government, one day, the the American government probably will oppose all Christians. We will finally and completely be a persecuted minority. And don't fear that day. Don't you dare be afraid of that. In fact, I will tell you this. Some of the greatest progress that Christianity has made in the world were when Christians had no power, excuse me, had no power politically. They forfeited all their power. They were just a tiny persecuted minority and they turned the world upside down. I'm not afraid of being the persecuted minority in America. I'm not. I'm not at all. And I don't want you to be either. I want to be a good pastor and tell you, man, if your hope, if your hope is on whoever is in office being sympathetic to your worldview, you're going to be a very disappointed and paranoid Christian. That is a terrible way to live your life. Don't hope in princes. Don't trust in chariots. They're going to disappoint you and fail you. Hope in this. He who sits above the circle of the earth, its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who's going to oppose us? Sarah was last Sunday morning sharing with me. She said, man, this is so powerful. I'm all what? She said, I'm about to teach the kids. In the book of Ezra, God commanded his people to rebuild the temple, and there was opposition. Remember this story? And God told his people, look, rebuild the temple. Anyone who opposes you Go into their house and pull a timber out of it and hang them on it. Who wants to oppose the, the rebuilding of the temple? Anybody? I just lo- I love that, man. Not because I love death and, <laughs> and I'm sadistic. I just love what God says about those who try to oppose him. And it's not going to end well for them. But it is for us. That's what this, the beauty and the power of this chapter is. Amen? Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. I'm going to finish this. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in? Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? And then a few verses down to 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? The, the memory of the wicked shall perish. Man, I love that. I love that verse when you're seeing power that's just corrupt and evil and wicked and hostile against Christians, and you think they're going to fade and they're going to get their memory is going to be ground into nothing. And the simplest, most humble Christian will be remembered forever. I love the passage in Exodus where you don't even know Pharaoh's name. Scholars and historians don't even know the name of Pharaoh that was in control when the children of Israel were multiplying and he was throwing the, the children into the Nile River. But we know the name of the two Hebrew midwives that refused to, to comply. Don't you love that? We know their names. Who was Pharaoh? Don't know. Doesn't matter. He's dead. He's dead now. He's been sitting under the judgment of God for centuries. 
But those two Hebrew midwives who were nothing of no esteem in the eyes of the world, they're seated together with Christ and have been for thousands of years. Don't you love that? It will not end well for those who oppose and hinder Christianity. And I told you last week, even the devil, he's going to be squashed underneath the God of peace. Don't you love that? God of peace squashed Satan under his feet. He will do it soon, this book tells us. I said lightning fast review. You guys just aren't listening fast enough. Uh, Number two, God's investment is untouchable. His investment is untouchable. How shall he who gave up Christ for us, he spared not his own son. Don't you love that? That's Christianity. God did not spare Jesus. He delivered him up. That word deliver up, it means on behalf of. Paradidomy, on behalf of somebody else. Instead of you. Not just for you, but instead of you. God gave his greatest gift, his, his most precious asset, his son, so that his enemies could be reconciled to him. That's how deeply he's invested in you. Do you think he's going to whiff on the other things you need now? <laughs> you think he's going to whiff on that and say, I don't know. I don't know. I know the investment. I, I'll, just, I'll just write it off as a, as a deductible, right? <laughs> no. No. He's going to give you everything else you need along with Christ. He's going to give you hope and courage and wisdom and clarity to know what his will is. He's going to give you joy. He's going to give you faith. He's going to give you all the things you need. That's what this is talking about. The context here is what do you need to face this kind of opposition? You think God who saved you is not able to bring you all the way home? Philippians 1.6, he who began the good work, his good work in you will complete it. He will complete it. It's a done deal in heaven and it will be a done deal on earth. God's investment is untouchable. He's too invested in you. The cross is a guarantee of God's continuing, unfailing generosity. Do you know that? You go and just hang out under the cross if you begin to question whether or not God is willing and able to finish the good work he started. He already did that thing. Sit under it and just get lost in wonder. And then when you leave, no, like, yeah, he's going to finish it. That cost him everything. To finish it is nothing. Number three, God's justification is irrevocable. He's already declared you righteous. It's not just that you've been forgiven and goodness. You're going to get into heaven by the, by the hair of your chinny chin chin and the skin of your teeth. You're just barely going to squeeze in there. Do you ever hear people talk about Christianity like that? Can I just be really, really blunt with you and say that is outright heresy. If you believe that a Christian just inches and squeezes their way into heaven just barely because they're so wicked, they're so evil, our hearts are so uh, vacillating and, and, and you know, we, we're, not, we're not as loyal and devoted as, as we should be, but, you know, God just pities us and we just squeeze in there. That is not Christianity. That is a works-based salvation. It's a miserable way of living, and it's just not true. No, you're justified. You know what that means? This is how daring and bold Christianity is. This is what justification means. Not only are all of your sins forgiven... God doesn't just view you as if you've never sinned. He views you as if you'd only and always obeyed. That scares people when you say that. Do you believe that? That is the heart of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. That's why Martin Luther, the reformer, risked his life to preach it and said, this is the one article that the church stands or falls on. Full justification, full acquittal, complete righteousness. You say, well, what if I have a bad day? Well, here's the deal, my friend. 
God had a perfect life, and he gave you the, his perfect life. You can't have a bad day in God's eyes. I know you can. You can have a terrible day, and maybe you, 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 you fall, you're unfaithful, but justification means that you have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ on your account. So the medal of honor that Jesus won on your behalf, it's been pinned to your chest, spiritually speaking. Even though you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it. And Christ took your guilt and your sin and the curse that you deserve, and he took that. It's a great trade-off. That's what justification means. And that's why the question that's asked is, who shall lay a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who can condemn? Do you see how Paul's arguing here? Don't you love the fact that he doesn't say, who can lay a charge against those who obey God? That would put the ball in your court, wouldn't it? He says, who can lay a charge against God's elect? I'm the apple of his eye. I'm his choice. He chose me. He laid hold, he laid hold of me. Jeremiah, I think 31 says, he has loved me with an everlasting love. So I belong to God. He, he did the work. He set his love and affection on me. He rescued me. How dare you accuse me? How dare you? You have no right to do that. I've been cleansed, and I'm fully righteous by him. 1 John 2, and then he goes on and talks about Christ is in heaven interceding. I mean, man, this is like every possible hole and leaky place where you could squeeze out. I'm not really sure. Paul has patched it over. 1 John 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, and in Greek it's more like since we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We've been fully justified, fully acquitted. God did it with his eyes wide open. Nothing we will ever do or say or think will surprise him. It's a complete and finished deal. It's what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. You know, I wrote this down before I go to the last point and we finish here. Your security will rise and fall based upon what the most important person in your life thinks about you. That's, you could say that's psychology, but that's Christianity too. Your security, I'm going to say it again, your security will rise and fall based upon what the most important person in your life thinks about you. So here's my question. Who is the most important person in that life, in your life, and what do they think of you? Do you have an answer to that? If the most important person in your life is you, you're going to have days where you loathe yourself, and you know what? your security is going to evaporate. You're going to be the most insecure person in the world, radically insecure. If the most important person in your life are your followers, those that like and follow and share and retweet, or if you're a social media person, oh my goodness, I feel sorry for you. And I'm not saying that to be mean or cruel. That's a terrible way to live your life. Because, man, how fickle is the approval on social media? I mean, we live in a cancel culture. No second chance. You better get it right. Or if, if the most important person in your life is a parent or a sibling or a child or a friend, what I'm saying is those are all terrible gambles, right? They're going to mislead you and hurt you. The most important person in your life is Christ, and he's already told you what he thinks about you. If God is for you, who can be against you? You remember Christ, before he even started his ministry, he was baptized in a voice from heaven. Before Jesus ever did any public ministry, God the Father made a declaration over his life. You remember what he said? 
He said, here's Jesus, and I hope it works out good for him. <laughs> what did he say? This is my beloved son, what? And whom I'm well pleased. What? You get the declaration before? Yeah, before. And like Matt says, you don't work toward approval, you work from it. See the difference? That's why Romans 8 has been so important. That's why people stencil it on their living room rolls and tattoo it on their body and write it in cards and put it on their tombstone. Or have somebody else put it on their tombstone. You can't put something on your own. If you can put some, Anyway, that's another sermon for another day. <laughs> yeah, what you need for assurance is the perfect record. You need a perfect record, and God's given it to you in his son. You realize that? Man, do you realize, what, you realize how secure you are? Oh, my word. It's incredible. Okay, this, this is a uh, last point. God's love is inseparable. That's the title of this sermon, by the way. Inseparable, what's it mean? It means you can't be torn apart. It's like uh, salt. We got any nerds in here? Do you know what salt is made out of? Sodium chloride. Oh, the periodic chart, right? Sodium and chloride smashed together, and they become salt. Have you ever tried to separate sodium from chloride in a piece of salt? Hey, kids, go home, go home and get a razor blade. No, don't do that. You can't. You can't separate them. It's like you and, and God's love for you. Once it's joined together, it's inseparable. What God has joined together, let not man separate, right? By the way, you know that that's what marriage is even a picture of, which is why God feels the way he does about divorce, because it distorts the picture, the reality of his commitment and loyalty and steadfast love and faithfulness and covenant to us. It's inseparable. John chapter 6. Well, here, let me read Romans first, right? <coughs> I feel fine. I just still got to, I don't know what it is. Pray that goes away. All right, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. You know what that means? It means we overwhelmingly conquer. We are completely victorious. In all these things, we are completely victorious, more than conquerors, through him who loved us. Now look, there are actually some people who believe, uh, who, who teach Romans 8, and they teach that this is our love for God. What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? It's like, I have this love for Christ. I have a love for God that's it's, it's okay, it's there. I mean, it could be better, but I'm thankful that nothing can separate. You know, this love is just good enough, I guess, to get me through. Is that what, is this passage talking about our love for God? No. Why is that important? Because how strong is your love for God? How strong was it today? Did you wake up? Did you, what, seriously now, guys, let's be, Get, get rid of the holy look for a minute, okay? This is grace life. Let's be real. Did you wake up? Did you crawl out of bed on your knees? And you're like, God, oh, thou who dwellest between the cherubim. Just the fact that you gave me an imperfect night of sleep, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you're so amazing. You're so wonderful. And then you, if, if you're married or if you have a family, you, you say, children, gather in the room. <laughs> How strong is your love for God? I don't even answer that question, okay? If, you, if you've been attending this church for very long, um, 
you know that the answer is always going to be when it's about us is that it's not enough, is it? Is your love for God enough? Is it where you want it to be? Okay, well then is that going to be the basis of your security, your love for God? As John Calvin said, good luck with that, right? That was a joke, he didn't say that. No, this is, look at verse 37. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through what? Him who loved us. Let me read that again. So for those who think this teaches our love for God, wrong. Verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Say those words with me. Him who loved us, not us who loved him. You know why that's important? Because your love for him is weak, it's fickle, it's fragile, it's unpredictable. Yeah, I said that, it's unpredictable. You know what? The day may come where you get scared and you get threatened, or they take somebody that you care about hostage. I've got six kids. I try not to play out the scenario in my mind. I mean, let's just be real, man. We can be real, can't we? What, what if somebody, what if we were under a hostile regime and somebody grabbed my youngest son and held a knife to his throat and said, how much do you love this Jesus of yours? Will you recant? Oh, it got real, didn't it? Now it got real. What, what if your pastor said, I, rec- I recant, I curse, I curse God. I don't belong to Jesus. I, I don't know him. I don't believe. Okay, what would happen if I said that? What would happen to me if I said that, guys? Is that it? Did I lose my salvation? Man, it really did just get real, didn't it? So that's the question to ask. Did Peter deny Jesus when it mattered? Did God, did Jesus tell him that he would? Yeah. Did he tell him that he would forgive him when he did? That he prayed for him? And that he would restore him? And when he did restore him, come back and strengthen his brothers? Yeah, Jesus, the apostle of apostles, right, denied Jesus three times with cursing. In fact, the way I've studied that passage, the way I read it, is that he actually cursed Christ. He cursed Christ. He said, I do not know this man. Leave me alone. Go away. Did Peter lose his salvation? No. Will you? If you deny Jesus? But here's, here's a, this makes people uncomfortable. That's okay, guys. We I mean, Paul is writing a blank check to think of everything. God forbid we would do that. In fact, the truth of this passage is what strengthens me to not do that. You understand what I'm saying? Whenever he says here, he's quoting Psalm 144, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Here's a secret. He's writing this to people who were living under a hostile regime. In Rome, Nero was the emperor. Christians were being killed. Some of these Romans that read this, their blood would have been splattered in the Colosseum probably. And what he's getting them ready for is persecution. And he's saying, look, don't worry. None of these things are going to be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. I've read in Fox's Book of Martyrs, people who recanted of their Christian faith. And then later, they recanted of their recanting. And they came back publicly and professed faith in Christ. And they were burned alive. In fact, one of them, I believe his name was, I think it was Latimer. When he was burned at the stake, he said, let the hand that has denied Christ burn first. And he thrust it into the fire. And you could say, how could a human being have that kind of confidence and security? Right here. See, this scares people. People think, man, pastor, just be careful. Just, just 
If, if, you, if you give people that kind of security, who knows what they're going to do? Who knows what they're going to do, right? They may, they may go out and be the next reformer or be the next single female missionary that goes and exp- spends her whole life for Christ in India to reach people that are caught up into the sex trafficking trade and a false religion. Who knows what this might leverage you to do for your life? This is a blank check for security. This is not hidden. This is one of 500 scriptures we could go to to talk about security. I hope that if you have been coming to this church for any length of time, you would know this, if nothing else. You are as secure as you could ever possibly be if you're in Christ. There's nothing that could ever take you out of Christ. And people always have, oh, wait a minute. What about, what if I lose my mind? What if I go insane? What if I get dementia? Or what if I get Alzheimer's? What if I forget everything? Well, here's the important truth. God's not going to forget you. You may forget his name. He's not going to forget your name. It's all covered here. Listen to this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure. Don't you love the fact that Paul doesn't say, for this is kind of how I'm feeling. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, I've been thinking. He says, I'm persuaded. I'm confident. I am sure that neither death nor life. Now, just listen to this list. If you could write a list, if somebody said, hey, get out a pen and paper and write a list of all the things that could never threaten me or take me out of God's hand in Christ, what would your list look like? Because to me, one of the greatest arguments for eternal security of the believer is the fact that Paul never said, now hang on a minute, if you're thinking that I'm saying, if you're thinking that I'm saying you can't lose your salvation, don't be ridiculous. We all know what's riding on you. The greatest, most powerful argument is his silence. He could have clarified it to say you could lose your salvation. It's all riding on you. He didn't say that. He gave this list. I'm sure that rulers, and he's talking about demons here, fallen angels. No elect angel is ever going to do anything to jeopardize your salvation. They're ministers of fire on our behalf. God sends to us. Nor things present, nor things to come. So there's nothing out there in the future looming that could threaten you. Nor powers or emperors or presidents or whoever. Nor height, nor debt. Nothing up there, nothing down there. And you know, Christ has been to both places says in Ephesians, he took captivity captive. He went down to the prison, right? And then he ascended to heaven and gave gift, gifts to men. He's been everywhere you could possibly be. Nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in all creation. I love that last part. You're like, what about? And he goes, no. <laughs> Nothing else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing visible, nothing invisible, Nothing created, nothing spiritual, no creature in heaven or on earth, nothing in the future, nothing in the past, nothing in the present, nothing in heaven below the earth, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Don't you love that? There's a a verse in John 6, if I can find it here. I'm almost done, folks. Hang in there, okay? He says, and this is the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Did you hear that? It's God's will 
that Jesus Christ will lose nothing. So if there's even a chance, if you want to use that word, that you could lose your salvation, it wouldn't be God's will. <laughs> she loved this security upon security upon security. It's like a lock and a dead boat, and then one of those things at the top, and then one of those things at the bottom. You can't get the door open. Paul, like, totally shuts the door. But I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Don't you love how he spans all of eternity? You have believed the gospel. I'm going to raise you up on the last day. It's already a done deal. You're going to burst out of your grave. I forget, maybe it was John Flavel, the Puritan, or Thomas Goodwin. He said, I am more sure to rise out of my grave than I am to get out of bed in the morning. The one is more uh, secure than the other. It's going to happen. Jesus, said, Jesus didn't say you're going to get out of bed in the morning, but he did say he's going to raise you up at the last day. You see, you see the argument, the logic there? Isn't that powerful? He's the good shepherd, and when the cross comes, he didn't back away. That's the ultimate test of God's commitment to you, is the cross. Jesus did not have to face it. It was agonizing for him. He prayed three times. If there's another way to remove that cup, to remove it. And I love what Sally Lloyd-Jones says in her Jesus storybook, Children's Bible. She says, it wasn't nails that kept him there. It was love. If God was going to walk out on you, he would have done it already. <laughs> you realize that? If Jesus Christ were to ever walk out on you or turn his back, he would have done it already at the cross, and he didn't. So the, so here, the test is not, will you deny Christ? That's not the test. That's a terrible test, by the way. And this doctrine teaches that in the final grand scheme of things, we won't. We will persevere to the end. But the bigger and the more powerful test is, will Christ turn his back on you? And he won't because he didn't and because he never will. He can't. He would cease to be God. He'd be a liar. If you could lose your salvation, Jesus Christ is a liar. How about, how about that? How's that? I'll say it that way. I'm not scared. If you could lose your salvation, Jesus Christ is a liar. Anybody willing to say that Jesus Christ is a liar? I'm not. I'm not, that would put you in really bad company. Man, I love this. You know, one of the greatest hymns, I promise I'm almost done, hang in there. Cracker Barrel will wait, okay? Welcome to Moe's. One of the most powerful hymns about God's love uh, is called The Love of God is Greater Far. Have you guys ever heard that hymn? It's amazing. I think we may have sang it before. Here's part of that hymn. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Isn't that beautiful, man? He's saying, hey, if all the sky were a parchment, were, were paper, and the ocean was an in ink, and you were, you were going to say, I'm going to write about the love of God. You wouldn't have enough parchment, you wouldn't have enough ink. It would run dry. There'd still be more to say. Did you know that there's a powerful line in that hymn that was discovered in an insane asylum, scribbled on the wall behind the, the bed of a person who went crazy, who was a Christian but lost their ever-loving mind? The person died, they buried them, they were cleaning out the cell. This was years ago. And they pulled the bed away from the wall and they found these words. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. 
It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Somebody wrote that in their insane asylum. God's love goes beyond the highest star and it reaches to the lowest hell. So no matter what happens to your mind, no matter what happens to your body, God's love has already been there. He's, whatever is looming out there in your future that you think could jeopardize or threaten your eternal security, God has already been there. He's already suffered whatever hell you're going to face. And he says, you're going to come out just fine if you're with me, if you're in Christ. So here, here's, how, here's how I'll end this. Man, there's always so much more to say, but, you know, we got we to gotta close. There are people who talk about the love of God in a generic and a hallmarky, I'll say, kind of way. It's like, yeah, God is love. We don't need to really talk about the cross or the wrath of God or judgment or, or any of that. We just need to believe the love of God. I want to I tell you, I want to close with this. If you do not believe in the cross, if you do not embrace Jesus Christ as the sinless Son of God who stood in your place and absorbed the wrath and the righteous indignation and anger of God on your behalf, there is no such thing as the love of God. The love of God you believe in is cheap, it's empty, it's powerless. The love of God cost him something, right? That's what love is. Love gives. Love is sacrifice. Love is sacrificial. Love is action. God so loved the world that what? He, what did he do? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That's the victory that overcomes the world, our faith in him. It's not just the generic faith that God is good and it's all going to work out. No, it's not. You have to entrust yourself to Jesus. There's no hope for you at all to even experience this security and this love outside of Christ. You can't circumvent Jesus and get to the love of God. It can't happen. John 14, 6 says what? What does it say? Man, I forgot. See, even if you forget scripture, it's okay. <laughs> Come on, guys. What does that verse say? Help me. No, no, no one. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa Wyckoff. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? You want to get to God's love, you got to go through Jesus. Trust me, you want to go through Jesus. That's the only way to get there, folks. Have you gone through him, and do you have this security? Don't you want to live this? Don't you not want to live a paranoid way of, of, of spiritual living? This security can be yours today. Listen, guys, the blank check is in your hands. So much more could be said, and I'm going to let you say it to yourself. You read this. This is the best part of Romans 8. Don't go skimpy on this. If you're reading Romans 8 and memorizing it, man, this is the exclamation point, okay? Let's pray, and uh, Kyle, you going to come? We'll have a Selah song today. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these truths. They are wonderful. They are deep. They are powerful. They are from you. Help us to believe them, to say amen to these things, Lord. What, can we, what do we say to these things? We say amen. We say thank God. Thank God for such amazing securing, anchoring, leveraging truth that galvanizes us, Lord. We want this. There's so many other places that we, that we get this in Scripture. We are kept by the power of Almighty God. Thank you so much, Lord. You keep us. You protect us. You shield us. You will take us all the way home. No power on heaven or earth, nothing in the future, no life, no death, not even death itself can separate us, Lord. You have removed the sting from death. Grave, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The lower they lay us, the higher you will raise us, Lord. Thank you for that victory that we have. We over, 
overwhelmingly conquer. And all these things, we are more than conquerors. We don't just face these things. We conquer through these things, Lord. They work in our favor. Your favor could not be tilted any more toward us than it is because of Jesus Christ. We give him thanks and glory for all these things. I pray all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. And listen, guys, we're, we're going to sing our Selah song. We have a prayer team in here. These promises are amazing. And I, God wants you to have them. He wants you to claim, the, claim these promises for yourself. And you can only do that if you belong to Jesus. So here's my question to you. Do you belong to Jesus? Can you say that? He is mine and I am his. Why wouldn't you want to? Why in the world wouldn't you want the peace and the security and the freedom and the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers you? The invitation is still open. Listen, you don't have to go through security to get to Jesus. He's accessible. He's low. He's humble. His arms are wide open. He couldn't be any more open and inviting to you than he is. He says to you, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Don't you want rest? All you who are weary, not only this church opens wide her arms, Jesus opens wide his arms. Today, right now, if you want to think about these things in your seat and pray, do that. If you want to talk about these things, come to the back. If you want us to pray with you, we would love the opportunity to do that. Maybe you've heard things today like repentance. What does that mean? What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to turn to God? What does it mean to believe the gospel? How do I do that? How do I follow him? How do I give my heart to him? We'd love to, to pray with you in the back and walk you through little steps. What's the next step for you to follow Jesus and commit your life to him? Is it to believe the gospel? Maybe you have. You've never been baptized. You've never publicly identified with him. Maybe you've never formally joined a church and put yourself under the loving care of the offices that Jesus has placed within the church. Or maybe it's something else you want to do. Maybe you just, you know, you, if you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. And God gave that gift to you to build up and edify other believers. Are you using that gift? Do you know what your gift is? Maybe that's the next step for you. So we, it, it, whatever your question is, we would love to help you with it. You can either fill out one of those connect cards and drop it in that box, or you can come and talk with us in the back and pray. This is going to be your time to do that. And then uh, I think Matt's going to come and, and do our charge and make some announcements. You do that now as we pray and sing.
praise you that we can be sure right here and right now, Lord, we can have assurance that it is well with our soul and we will spend eternity with you, Father. And I pray for anyone in here who is unsure, Lord. I pray that you can make them sure, Father. And I pray that we can rest in the assurance of who you are and what you have done, Lord. It is not about what we have done, but is what you have already done. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Kyle. And thank you, Tommy. Man, what a word. Um, I know the Spirit was here um, in a powerful way. And thank you, Tommy, wherever he is. For, man, he just faithfully preaches God God's word week in and week out. And I, I just couldn't be more grateful for him and the ministry he has here. Um, before we go, a couple of announcements. The first one being our fifth Sunday prayer gathering. So every time there's five Sundays in a month, we, five, five Wednesdays in a month. On the fifth one, we have a special prayer gathering. And that week, our community groups will take a break so that everybody can come join us. It's a, it's a special time of just pouring our, our hearts out to the Lord and praying to him, hearing from him. And it's a day of fasting, if you so choose. It'll be right after Thanksgiving, a good time to fast. Um, so, Roths, do we have a location yet for that? At the Roths house, there we go. So if you need the address for that, scan the QR code. Join us, it's in a couple weeks. It's going to be an awesome time. Um, next announcement, if you are looking for community, if you want to live out this life, to continue experiencing the love of God and reminding ourselves of the gospel, join a community group. We have several located in our area, Orange City, Deltona, DeLand. To find out locations and times when those meet, again, through that QR code on our website or in the Church Center app, you can find all that information. Also, the next announcement for student ministry. Not today. Today we have a normal gathering from 6 to 8 p.m., so parents, the, uh, the meals, or not the meals, the, the dishes you're preparing, don't make those today. That's next week. Um, we have a sign-up sheet. If you're a parent of a middle school and high schooler, you can bring a dish. We're having a Friendsgiving meal next Sunday, November 20th. It's going to be a fun time to eat together, to break bread together, and to, and to share what we're grateful for. So I'm really excited about that. Again, tonight for students, regular meeting at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church. 6 to 8 p.m., then the next week, the 20th, will be our Friendsgiving, same place, same time, 6 to 8. Another announcement, you see it, Bill Roth holding up this, here it is. So for, from the Central Florida Pregnancy Center, they gifted Grace Life with a bronze baby bottle, awarded with our sincere gratitude to Grace Life Church for raising $3,350 to protect unborn babies in our community. That's incredible. Thank you, guys. And a special thank you to Joan Drake and Dawn. Joan works at the Pregnancy Center, and she's the one who spearheads this effort for our church. And thank you, Joan, for all you do in our community. A couple more things. There is an elderly couple who watches Grace Life online. They're unable to attend in person. They had some damage to their property from uh, Nicole, the storm. So if you're interested in helping out, we're going to gather uh, a group together to help them. If you're interested in helping, get with Tommy. He'll, he'll find a time that works for everybody so that we can go bless that family. Also, we need some help with teardown in the back. So if you are familiar with how that operation goes, or if you don't mind just following directions, join us back there after the service so that we can tear down um, and roll the carts to our storage closet. And last but not least, we have a lost item, expensive item. 
some AirPods. So if you lost these, honesty is the best policy. If these aren't yours, don't come steal them. That would be gross anyways. There's like, I don't know, maybe there's some earwax stuck in there. I don't know. So if they are yours, come grab them. All right. That's all the, of the announcements. If you would stand with me, we're going to read our charge. We read this every week to remind ourselves of who God has called us to be. So we will read this, and then we will be dismissed. I am a witness. I've been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You've been sent. <laughs>